Welcome to The Mondo Solution with your beautiful host, Jordan McDonald, and this fine gentleman over here. What up, everybody? Brandon Wood. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, every time you ask that question, I think I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you. You know, your intelligence, I want to say I'm grateful for because it challenges me to think more critically about the topics mm. that we're going to cover. Um, and it really raises the bar. So I appreciate Thank you. that. I think that, <clears throat> and I, you and I were a discussion before we went live. I think that thinking critically about things, like in all the ramifications, I think that we we try to think critically in one direction. Like we'll go if I turn right instead of turning left. Here are the here are the ramifications of that. You go well, but we only think one layer deep, right? And I think that I think that critical thinking needs to be like this compounding thing that we do. Um, I mean, sorry, we're going to talk about marketing at some point, but like <laughs> thinking critically. And that is part of what we're talking today. It's like there, there are these uh, hidden ramifications, whether they be economic, like costs or consequences or what have you. Um, I think that we we go one level deep because we want that confirmation bias. Well, if I do this, I'll get five dollars. But if I do this, I'll get two dollars. Yes, but that two dollars is invested in a like a. 10% on a six, six month CD. So you're going to get, but uh, that can recur. And so you're going to see that $2 turn into this, turn into this anyway. Yes. So sorry, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No critical thinking. You're, you're yeah. absolutely right. And uh, I think you, uh, yes, we're immediately digressing from episode 27 today yes. where we're talking about vacuum cleaners and which one you should buy and why not. And we're totally not talking about that, but we are talking about <laughs> vacuum cleaners and, uh, and again, we're kind of doing a flashback to episode 19, where we talked about ethics and honesty in marketing, which is such a, a broad topic. We could yes. really discuss this every other episode and have new examples and insights and, and really dialogue about it from different perspectives that are always fresh because there's always some bad actor in the market that's going to be trying something uh, not not new necessarily, not new on the face of it, but uh, yeah, certainly deceptive uh, and all of those other bad, bad things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not like, well, somebody's got to be the kind of the uh, standard bearer of figuring out why these things are bad. I mean, certainly the Ponzi scheme existed before old Chuck Ponzi rolled along. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? He just branded it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was like, trademark me. <laughs> uh, but, oh, I did want to say, just critical thinking, yes. as you're saying, right? A lot of time people take it just one layer deep. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think there's the opposite side of that coin where you could, what is that? Paralysis by analysis? Analysis where you paralysis, think of, yeah. Yeah, analysis paralysis, where you think too deeply about if I go this way or that way, and then you imagine the tree of opportunities and risks uh, and then you don't do anything. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's, that's one of the things. So in, again, it's sales and marketing is uh, the cost of inaction, right? So great. If I choose a, this happens. If I choose B, this happens. If I do nothing, your cost of inaction is frequently higher than choosing either a or B and not that it needs to be a or B and, and certainly not, you know, there's, there's always a case to be made, but, that third piece, that cost of inaction is 
see in this example, right? And we don't we don't really take that into consideration as much as we should. Um, but yeah, getting it stuck in analysis paralysis. But that's a bunch of what all they're all what ifs, right? I mean, I guess if you're doing your job as a, a human, right, and you are trying to figure out what's going to happen five steps down the road, you need to have a limiting principle to that. So how many steps am I going to go? What is what is the goal? And is achieving the goal, is the cost for achieving the goal um, worth it? Is there value there? So yeah, I, I've done that where I've gotten stuck in analysis paralysis a little bit sometimes. And at some point you just kind of have to leap, you know? So who knows how many steps you think down the road? I don't know, 10, 15, <laughs> three? Who knows? Who knows? Well, today we're going to be speaking about some companies that perhaps did not think down the road for the consequences of their actions, or, or maybe they did and they just decided that it was okay. Um, we're referencing a Wall Street Journal article today that is titled, Thought You Saved $60 on That Vacuum Cleaner? Think again. Right. And uh, my thought here is that I've, uh, I've, I've summarized the article, mm. um, but perhaps we should just take it section by section. What do sure. you think? Yeah, let's do that. Let's yeah, do that. Instead of, the, instead of the summary, right? So, yeah. Okay. I mean, yes. Go for it. The subtitle is Retail Marketers Will Continue Using Deceptive Pricing Practices to Drive Sales Despite a New Wave of Related Lawsuits, experts say. A number of large retailers face legal challenges for allegedly deceiving consumers by tagging products as being on, quote, sale, end quote, even though their prices weren't always discounted. This common marketing tactic is making a comeback as struggling retailers try to appeal to price-conscious consumers. Consumers and consumer advocates say that heavily promoted sale prices drive buyers to make purchases due to fear of missing out. FOMO! FOMO! On a great bargain. But in some instances, customers find that the prices aren't true discounts. For example, a retailer typically may sell a top for $20, but the company may raise the product's listed price to $40 briefly, returning it uh, to the standard price and advertising the blouse as 50% off. In some extreme cases, retailers may advertise the sale without ever raising the price to $40. Um, quote, it's trying to put a carrot in front of the customer and give them a sense of urgency to purchase. And it works, said Stacy Widlitz, president of research firm SW Retail Advisors, in describing the practice. Quote, it's incredibly common. Uh, and just one more section before we sure. digress for discussion. Many states regulate this practice and retailers have been paying more attention to related laws in recent months. Quote, because there is no question that it's a burgeoning area of litigation, end quote, said Stephanie Martz, chief administrative officer and general counsel for industry trade group, the National Retail Federation. So, of course, here we are speaking of one of the examples from episode 19, which is selling products. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's selling products using deceptive pricing, mm -hmm. um, right? It's. It is, right? It's not, yeah, it's deceptive uh, sale pricing. It's, it's deceptive discount. It's might not necessarily be the price, although it is, but it's right. it's the percentage off. It's, it's that angle that's so deceptive about it. You know, yes, and, and we talked about this also in, um, oh God, the JCPenney thing. Um, 
I forget what episode that was, but it was an episode where we talked about how JC Penney during um, the early 2000s with the, the guy that was former Apple guy. And they were like, Every, no more sales. Here's our price. So, I mean, there's something, I, I they were trying to go the admirable way and what have you. But in, in this case, the internet is interesting because it kind of democratizes the process by which you can do that or the, or your ability to check that. So if you're in an actual brick and mortar retail store, you go in, you see this shirt that is pinged for 40 bucks, right? Uh, when it's actually $20 and you go, you, all you do have to do is pull out your phone and look it up. You can go and find this shirt and you can see that by and large, the retail value of this shirt is $20. And you could call people on it and just not buy it. Now, I know that that I, I tend to like cash flowing and getting out into the actual retail marketplace, not just online. But I mean, you know, use your phone for research, certainly. And if somebody and, and look, I guess it depends on the size store, right? If you're buying this shirt at Kohl's or target for the three people that still shop at target like then you're not going to change anything because their prices are determined from on high right it does not matter but if you're in like a little mom and pop boutique and somebody tries this nonsense you can go well no this this shirt i can get this for 20 dollars anywhere why do you think that it's 50 percent off so now what do you do with that information and maybe the article is going to talk about that but like how do you how do you act on that? You know, because I don't want to take money away from people that are working hard and using a marketing tactic to get there. They're just trying to make their margin. Like I get it, but I also think there are probably better ways around it than that, but that's not what we're talking about right this second. <laughs> and I will say, especially for an industry that is not tip based, right? Mm. It's, it's retail, but it's not, there are no tippable. I mean, you could always tip somebody, but it's not, really an option on the receipt, right? On the right. check. Right. Uh, and just to expand upon the, um, the JC Penny reference mm -hmm. that you brought up from episode 13, which was rebranding fails, uh, in 2012, JC Penny launched a major rebranding effort that you were alluding to that included a new logo store layout and pricing strategy, which as you mentioned, um, did away with sales. It was just straight, no nonsense pricing. Right. Mm -hmm. And the move was a, intended to appeal to younger, um, more urban customers, but it ended up alienating the brand's core audience uh, and sales plummeted. <laughs> the company was uh, forced to, to revert to its original branding and price strategy. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like there, I mean, the, the challenge is that once you start, I don't know, I, this is kind of the crux of part of the one of the, one of the cruxes i guess i would say of marketing right i mean marketing is always it's it's manipulation but it's a calculated manipulation so the second that you start to kind of go back down that road and now as this article is going to tell us here in a moment jc penny is one of those being sued <laughs> but but like you start going down that road what's the balance because there is a balance of being truthful I mean, Jordan, you and I know companies that kind of rely on trust results and clarity as a as a tagline of sorts. Well, if you're claiming those things, there's a pretty good chance you're not following through with those things. Um, 
And so, but you're saying, well, it's we say this, therefore it is, and it's like, well, but you're also, it's, it's, it's again, it's confirmation bias. I guess that's the word for it. But if you're, no, no, that can't be it. Where you state something, therefore it's this, you know, like there are people who are um, super, uh, they, they work for organizations that we work for a, a sexual against sexual predator organization turns out they're like this you got 73,000 pieces of child porn or some nonsense like this and now they're in jail you're like <laughs> i mean <laughs> it, it's projection maybe that's yes. the way i would say <laughs> so anyway yes yes um yeah what yeah anyway uh <laughs> so i just throw your I just turn your brain off what happened well it's yeah it's um yeah, it's like circular reasoning almost. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, like yeah, you say it is, therefore it is. It must be. <laughs> yeah, but it seldom is. It's there's a, <laughs> this is the iron law of fill in the blank projection. I mean, yeah. Anyway, I I I, I would I I don't know where the line lies there. Maybe that's some something for a marketer more creative than me. Um, but maybe that's part of the answer is like, where do you, where do you figure that out? Where is it that you can be honest, but it's not over here. I I don't know. Is it full transparency? I mean, do you, do you sit there and you say, well, this shirt costs $40. The cost that we have as a store to pay for that shirt is $15. And the consumer is going to go, well, you're making 25 bucks on that. You Mm -hmm. go, yes, but, and then what do you show every single thing? You go, well, here's what we got to pay Bob over here. Here's what we got to pay the stockist. Here's what we got to pay the shipping company that shipped it here. Do you, do you go? And so at the end of the day, we're making a dollar profit and they're going to go, well, great. How many of these shirts do you move in a year? Well, we move 20,000. That means you're making $20,000 on this shirt in a year. Screw you. I want $20,000. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. How, how transparent are you? And how many people are going to read it? I don't know. It's the ingredients. And then people manipulate that. It's the ingredients, which by the way, is another conversation we should have someday where it's got to be what, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, where they started listing ingredients Mm -hmm. and using terms like organic or grass-fed beef, by the way, grass-fed beef. Do you know what that means? (laughs) Grass-fed beef, if I'm not mistaken, please, I am happy to be corrected, means that that cow was fed grass at some point so (laughs) theoretically it means that they could take that cow when it's a day old let it go eat grass and then put it back and that's the only time it ever eats grass after that it's corn or whatever feed that could literally be the entire thing and and that's perfectly legal because so this this is one uh, and so what you want to see is grass fed and finished right so, but you don't want to see just grass finished necessarily because that means it ate feed and then they let it eat a little bit of yeah. grass before it bolts <laughs> in the brain but like <laughs> but then even in this article so one of the things you refer to is the national retail the industry trade group the national retail federation who do you think funds the national retail federation <laughs> The retailers, the retailers, the same guys that are being sued for this nonsense. <laughs> Again, this is that critical thinking, right? It's like, fo- and follow the money, by the way, is the easiest critical. They follow the money. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's, 
it's very interesting to look at all these things in the way they are because with the ingredient thing, people have learned how to manipulate that. They're always going to learn how to manipulate it. And I'd like to think that the person that's going to come out and be completely transparent is the one that is going to win, but that's yeah. not necessarily the case because we are not the smartest creatures in the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly. Right. To think that, uh, 11 years ago in 2012, JC Penny tried to make a stance for transparency and reducing all these coupons and discounts and, and trying to say, Hey, you know, we don't need to play on people's psychological yes. underpinnings to, to win in this market only to have it backfire. And then 11 years later, here they are retail retailers, including JC Penny footlocker and Eddie Bauer currently face lawsuits over allegations of fictitious or deceptive pricing. So it's, it's like they, they, they tried to be transparent. It backfired because people liked thinking not necessarily it being real, but they liked thinking they were getting a discount. And then here they've spent the last decade really pushing into that, uh, ostensibly. Yes. And, uh, it's backfired against them in some other way with legal ramifications. <laughs> it's a, uh, <laughs> it's a frustrating thing. I, yeah. I, I wonder what the answer is. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the answer is. Right. From, from a, I think of Apple products. Of course I do. Of course you do. <laughs> I, I think, you know, everybody always speculates every year a new iPhone comes out. They say, Oh, well, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so, who has good word that the bill of materials, the BOM for the new iPhone 15 Pro Max Ultra Premium is it's only like a hundred dollars. Apple's making eleven hundred dollars off this product, and you know uh, Tim Cook repeatedly says these bill of materials that are always floating out around there are nowhere near what we pay because of course it goes beyond just the physical components, assuming that's right, assuming those values are accurate. I mean, there's, there's the R and D component too. Yep. And then there's the, the, the cost it takes to hire all these individuals to work on the product, to figuring out the manu manufacturing process, even if that's outsourced, uh, in China, there, there's so much that goes onto it. But what I really wanted to say was if Apple were to put a, this is what it costs us to make it on, an iPhone. Uh, and even if it was just like the top five things that cost the most, I think that would, it would almost, uh, in my opinion, I think that would be giving away some of, uh, some of their trade secrets to other competitors, you know, because there's only so many manufacturing facilities for these highly custom, uh, mm -hmm. processors. Like really, there's only like a hand, like maybe two or three companies in the world that can make these advanced chips. And so if, you know, their competitor now knows what they're paying for those chips explicitly. And they can say, Hey, why is Apple getting such a good deal? And, and we're not, you know, it, it, it creates friction. And I think it, it, you know, obviously this is all hypothetical, but if, if that came to light, it could ultimately be bad for the consumer, mm -hmm. right? If all of a sudden nobody gets a deal anymore and, and I don't know, right. All hypothetical, but on one hand, I'll just say this. On one hand, I, I would love to see the breakdown uh, of pricing. I don't necessarily need to see it on like Dr. Pepper at the fountain machine where, yeah. where it's like we pay 0. 0.000001 cent uh, yeah. to make this and then whatever the water cost of water was. Uh, but you pay, you know, $2. It's like, wow, that's, you know, you guys are making pure profit here. Uh, and you're giving me diabetes. Well, I'm giving myself diabetes. <laughs> uh, I'm not blaming anybody there. Um, 
But so on one hand, it'd be cool to see the breakdown. But on mm-hmm. the other hand, I think too much information takes away from I keep wanting to use the word magic to describe the purchase or like mystery. Yeah. Right. Like if I go to buy not Dr. Pepper, if I go to buy a top like the one you're wearing or something. Sure. I, the first thing I want is, well, I want a hoodie. I want it zip up. Is it soft? Mm. Right. Great. But if I'm if I'm instead distracted by this price tag that also has, you know, not the nutrition information, but the breakdown of uh, of where it came from, how many small children were used to make it. Um, and then I'm like, oh, man, well, I don't want to buy this because this other hoodie over here actually only took two and a half small children to produce instead of four. Uh, and and it's uh, yeah, I, I don't know how I got onto child labor, but it sounds soft. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there's a there is a truth there somewhere. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I, I think it like, yeah, what am I trying to say? It's like part of buying something is is you envision yourself using that thing, consuming that product. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I'm specifically referring to products instead of services because there's a, a more tangible aspect to these items, obviously. Uh, but it's like, oh man, I see myself wearing that hoodie. It's going to match great with these uh, Hoka tennis shoes mm-hmm. and the color. It's going to be great. And then um, all the girls are going to love me. And I was like, <laughs> whatever. But if, if you get distracted psychologically by um, how much did it take to cost and then you're doing like price shopping and yes. comparison. And for those that are analytically minded and focused on numbers, you know, then you might ultimately not make the purchase, even though you probably did want the product uh, and the, the retailer wants you to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, so I had a hoodie. I still have it somewhere by this company. So it was a company called electric, which is a sunglasses company. Um, I think their website is electric California or something like that. And, uh, they sent me, so I also, I may have talked about this before. I own the website gearist.com and, uh, we were reviewing some sunglasses and frequently people will send like, Oh, well, in addition to the thing that we want you to review, here's this, some swag, right? So they sent this hoodie and I loved that hoodie. It had such a great weight and it didn't, the waistband of the hoodie wasn't super tight. So it didn't give you this like ball shape. Um, it laid really well. It was soft. It wasn't, it was just straight up cotton or whatever, you know? Um, I really loved it a lot. And then, but I wore the hell out of it. And like, so the sleeves started to get that thing where they're like all threadbare, you know, at the elbows. And, um, so I decided that I wanted a new hoodie. Well, electric, has that same hood i think it's the same hoodie but they have it in like this color i'm wearing right now like a heather gray or white and i really wanted the black because i wear it mostly around the house i have kids i spill stuff (laughs) so i don't want a white hoodie heather gray okay but i really like the black so fine so i went shopping and i did some research and i found um this hoodie, ironically, not wearing it today, by a company called Ten Thousand. Their website is Ten Thousand spelled out dot cc. And uh, now I had worn this sweatshirt for. I had it for. I still have it, but like, it had easily been seven years or something like that, and it had lasted really well. I was very happy with it, and I was like, well, I'm okay to spend some money on a really good product if because i'm i wear the hell out of things right and so on ten thousand, i found this it's like their mid-weight non-zip 
pullover hoodie or whatever it's called. And it's awesome. It's got like extra pockets and all this like zipper pockets behind the big pocket. And it's not cotton material, but it's soft and it lays well. And it has again, that same body shape, torso shape. And, but it was like $110. And I had a friend of mine who's a very, we'll just say frugal individual. He's like, you're going to spend $110 on a hoodie. And I was like, listen, a, I really like the way this looks. I like the way that it feels. I feel the value is there. And because I'm going to wear this forever, it's like $10. I say the same thing about ski gear, by the way. People go and they get, oh, I got a ski outfitted Target, Walmart, whatever. And I go, how much did you pay for it? Oh, I paid for the pants and the, I don't even know if they sell these things, but I pay for the pants. So bibs and like a coat, I paid 200 bucks or 150 bucks. And I'm like, okay, good deal. Uh, meanwhile, because again, I have gears, like I'm sitting over here in a kit from Patagonia pants and top that are like $1,500 together. And they're like, what? Yeah. But that pants and top from Patagonia, a it's lightweight, B it looks good. The line is good. All the features are good, but it will last forever and it will do everything that you need to do. And Patagonia has this thing I may have mentioned this before. I had this pair of ski pants by Patagonia. I have a lot of ski pants, so it's I'm I'm just pulling out Patagonia. They, um, I love this pair of ski pants. They have good stretch. I go backcountry touring in them all the time. They're good for resort side. They're just great, and um, they got a hole in the crotch, like that seam in the crotch kind of wore out. So I went on Patagonia. There they have. Um, it's their worn wear repairs. Um, and it cost me five bucks. It just cost me shipping. I sent it to them. They fixed it. They sent it back. And it cost me nothing. It cost me the shipping price. Now, had they not been able to fix it, what Patagonia then does is they take this very expensive article of clothing and they actually take the fabric that is usable and they res they go, hey, do you want us to send this back to you if we can't fix it? Because sometimes like the seam just gets blown out, you can't use it. Or do you want us to keep it and recycle this fabric? Not recycle in the kitschy, we're gonna recycle this. They actually take it and turn it into something, like a vest or something. And I was like, Yeah, I mean, keep it. They but they were able to fix it. I sent it back. So the value on that sort of thing, whether it's the warranty or whatever is there. So how much transparency are you willing to pay for there? I guess that's kind of what we were originally talking about before I went down this Patagonia hole. Um, Patagonia that's, hole. <laughs> that's the thing, right? But like those are, that's part of the value for me. How long does it last? Does it afford me the ability to do the things that I want to? You're going to go buy that $150, $200 kit from Walmart or whatever it is. I'm not trying to dig on Walmart. But like to go ski for one season and you're going to probably have to buy another one the next season. It may last two years. So in the, in 10 years, I will have paid that 1500 bucks. You will have paid 1600. So you may as well have gotten the really good thing, <laughs> you know? So, yeah, uh, no, but again, I, I also know that not everyone has $1,600 to go throwing around it. <laughs> ski outfit. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great personal example. And I have a, a great business example yes, please. where I'm not going to name names, but it's absolutely, you, you hit on the same points that I'm about to hit on just from a different perspective. Mm. Uh, the pitch for so long for laptops, Google Chromebooks and specifically and specific that made the news just within the last three days uh, in an article 
um, that was talking about the school systems and how the pitch was always, oh yeah, these Chromebooks are cheap. If they break, just just buy a new one. It's yeah. three four hundred dollars. It's no problem. And uh, they all mate with the Google Cloud. You can manage them remotely. They're performance enough, right? They mm-hmm. have enough performance to do <clears throat> the things that uh, you need them to do. Um, so, <laughs> so I, yeah, without naming names, I had this, this client a couple of years ago and, uh, they were, when I inherited them as a client, the, they had prior to me been using exclusively Apple products like mm-hmm. Mac minis, uh, and MacBook pros, uh, for the, the mobile staff. And so, you know, when I when I came along, there was a, a strong push to go for uh, something cheaper, right? <laughs> something something cheaper. Uh, and, and at the time, I was I was just cautioning. I was like, look, you have a user base that's used to using Mac OS. Uh, uh, all of them essentially use iPhones. It's a native integration. They're used to it. They like it. It's a good look for the company. Uh, and yes, while you might pay two or three times, uh, potentially as much for each Mac laptop, you're going to have users that already know what they're doing, know how to use it, enjoy using it. The user experience should never be subtracted from the equation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have buy-in and, and if you're forcing, you know, as these older Macs get phased out and you're forcing these individuals, uh, to use a, a Chromebook, well, great. Like I, I, I don't really care how much testing you do to say, Hey, look, this Chromebook, it's, it's, it's more than enough, uh, which, which was done and I was not sold. Anyway, fast forward two, three years later, um, an individual there has taken over, um, that side of managing the company and nobody wants to use the Chromebooks. Mm. Nobody. So there's a pile of like 70 of them. Wow. And, (laughs) And and they still need to be maintained, right? They or something needs to. And there's no resale value. They, mm. they were they were cheap when you bought them. They're crap now. They're they're just they're just trash. They're, they're, there's no performance. Uh, there never really, arguably, was performance. It was all about minimum viable product. Uh, and that's exactly that's exactly what came to fruition. Nobody wants to use them. They're using their personal devices. Oh, now yeah. what? You know, these people are expecting stipends to upgrade their devices that they're using two ways. There's no control from a business perspective over uh, remote deletion of data if somebody gets terminated uh, and on and on and on and on. Right. So it's yes, there's several things at play here. One, I understand there's the the CapEx factor, right? There's a capital expense factor where, no, we don't necessarily have whatever, dollars $40,000 right now to pay for a whole fleet of new devices mm-hmm. uh, to, to, you know, yeah, to replace uh, and refresh the existing. Uh, but on the other hand, if you're sinking, you know, say, say the outlay was going to be $20,000 instead you spent $10,000, but two years later, nobody's using them. And effectively you've you've um, it, it's a sunken cost and you yep. can't recoup any of it. Not to mention you've lost buy-in you've lost, you know, people that are working there being advocates for the company saying, Hey, you know, it's really great to work here. Um, instead of <laughs> now you have people saying like, Oh man, they, they switched from Mac to these Chromebooks just to cut costs. And like, I honestly, that can be, um, that can be a sign I'm not saying it is for this company, but that can, that can kind of be a sign of the direction a company is going. Um, if, if they're now in a, 
uh, an extreme cost cutting, uh, yeah. uh, you, you know, system where maybe that's a sign the company isn't doing so well. You know, maybe why would I want to work for a company that's now cutting costs at every single layer uh, at the expense of the company, right? As, as oh, a yeah. whole. So yeah, it's, it's all about, you know, yes, there's, there's critical thinking and you have to think a little bit further in the future than just the top line or the bottom line in this case. Um, because ultimately there is a real cost no matter which direction you go. In this case, um, it was, uh, you're, you're sacrificing, um, y- y- loyalty from your employees and advocacy in a positive way, which can bleed into your customers and your clients for an initial upfront cost, um, that, that is kind of narrow sighted, but yes, there, yeah. there are always real world and financial factors involved. Yeah. hundred percent. We, by the way, we should talk about that, um, no security for offboarded employees. I have a solution for you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to this article. Let's do it. So um, I'll read this next little section here. Yeah, I guess I should be sharing this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can see it. Uh, retailers, including JCPenney, Foot Locker, and Eddie Bauer, currently face lawsuits. Yes, currently face lawsuits over allegations of fictitious or deceptive pricing. Boohoo owner of retail brands Nasty Gal and Pretty Little Thing. What the hell? Recently. (laughs) Yeah. God. Recently settled a, maybe I'm old, but (laughs) anyway, uh, deceptive pricing case in California for $197 million. Computer maker Dell agreed this month to pay $6.5 million to settle accusations from the Australian government that it uh, used misleading prices on its website. Such pricing practices all but disappeared during the COVID-19 pandemic as retailers struggled to stock goods and consumers face long wait times. Over the past year, however, retailers increasingly use this approach to drive sales and unload excess inventory as rising inflation and other economic concerns led consumers to pull back from making discretionary purchases, experts say. So I want to say something really quickly about one of these things. I don't know... I won't say what company this is. I will say that it is a pharmaceutical company. And they were putting out a new, this story was told on Joe Rogan by somebody who used to work for this pharmaceutical company. If you do three seconds of digging, you can figure out exactly the story. I just don't want to get us sued because while we're making billions over here on this podcast, (laughs) I don't want to lose any of it. (laughs) So this pharmaceutical company was putting out a new drug. This is, 15 20 years ago i think and um uh when they were in clinical trials i think that's the state i'm paraphrasing all this so please take it for what it's worth when they were in clinical trials they go okay hey based on all of these things we could sell this medication for this much we have a potential to make um i don't know 100 billion dollars or yeah, something something like that. I don't know, whatever it is. Let's say 10 billion because 100 billion seems excessive. Wow. Except for during COVID. Um, so you're gonna make $10 billion and they go, oh, okay. And then they go into clinical trials and they go, hey, this thing is killing people. It's killing people. Okay. Um, at this point, 
a an ethical person or organization would go, well, that's not acceptable. I mean, look, uh, everybody knows you got to break some eggs to make an omelet, right? However, killing people hits a little different. <laughs> and so they go, well, how much are we going to lose if we do that? Well, we're likely, based on previous lawsuits that have come out of this, we're likely to be lose about $3 billion. And they go, wait a second. So we have a chance to make $7 billion here? Go for it. And they produce the product. They were, in fact, sued. And they paid out about that much. Uh, again, in my example, they paid out about that percentage. Um, and they made $7 billion in profit. So, you know, when, uh, yeah, I mean, when people are using pricing, they're taking into consideration these macro fact, uh, factors, right? Like the cost of a thing, the cost of being deceptive. And that's what it seems like these people are doing here. So Nasty Gal settled a deceptive pricing case, California for $197 million. Do you think that Nasty Gal gives two craps if they made $500 million? Exactly. No, because the loss is calculated in. So where you can really hit them is publishing that information, making that widely understood, because that's when uh, people actually, like, it doesn't necessarily need to be a boycott, but it's like, vote with your dollars. It's it's FAFO to the retail industry. So, um, yeah. So you said FAFO. Yes. You know what that is? No, I don't. <laughs> F around, find out. Oh, okay. I was thinking first in, first out, but <laughs> with a different letter there. No, that's FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> FIFO. <laughs> yeah. No, F A F O. So I, you know, but believe me, don't we? We're talking about like we've talked a few times now about like where where their costs are calculated. But believe me, like these companies that are losing money, that's baked in that's baked in you would you every person that has had probably every person at least beyond the first time you've drank an entire bottle of wine by yourself has gone you know what this is going to kind of suck tomorrow but it's worth it (laughs) yeah it's baked in dude you know absolutely in a competitive environment right the the risk of losing market share that's right. Is less than the risk of litigation. <laughs> yes. And they're very smart people. And now AI that is able to crunch those numbers. Yes. <clears throat> yes. And say, here's the CBO. Here's the CBA. Cost benefit analysis. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me here. I'll read a couple more paragraphs and then I'll kick it over to you. Uh, so a number of chains, including Macy's, Foot Locker and Dick's Sporting Goods reported weaker than expected sales this quarter, citing factors such as um, continued inflation and rising consumer credit card balances and also theft, by the way. It's a huge part of that. Retailers, quote, are trying to survive and trying to gain market share and they'll do it at any cost, said Widlitz or Widlitz if you're in Germany. Many consumers aren't aware that these supposed sales are designed to manipulate them, said Joe Urbany, professor of marketing at the University of Notre Dame's Mendoza School of Business and co-author of a new research paper on deceptive pricing published in this month's edition of the Academic Journal of Marketing. 
retailers would continue to promote such misleading deal deals since the risk of losing market share is greater than any reputational or mon- see this is what I'm talking about is greater <clears throat> than any reputational or monetary damage they may incur from related legal cases Urbany said that's it's baked in like they know exactly what these things are going to cost and <clears throat> I'll tell you in the marketing space in the marketing agency space, which, by the way, Mondo Solution is part of the Mondo's or Mondo Solutions, which is an actual marketing agency, although we are not ones to sit here and pitch. But a marketing agency, and there are several that we could point to, <laughs> probably an overwhelming majority, <clears throat> will get in, they'll get a deal, they'll sign that year, that deal for a year, or if they can get multi year, they they'll sign multi-year, but it's pretty rare to sign multi-year. Um, and then they are fine with the churn and burn because there's an understand. In other words, they churn the clients, the clients is on, they're on for one year, especially in things like SEO, by the way, SEO. And to some degree, any, anything organic because organic takes so long and to some degree ads because ads, um, they mask the amount of time that it takes for SEO to really take hold. So they're fine with signing a one-year contract because what do they care if the client doesn't renew? Now, what's interesting is that they, the way that they're, they're linked to these clients that are going to churn after 12 months or whatever it is, it prevents the client from being, either prevents the client from being able to kind of really give their opinion about that entity. Um, whether it's by way of threat of legal action or what have you, but they've also put, um, they'll ask those people to give a review, but they ask the client to give a review of their, of the marketing agency services early on in the process. So they ask for a review at like two, three months, four months, right? You're still in that honeymoon phase and you don't really understand. Um, and so that client is less likely because Google doesn't make it easy to, I mean, they do make it easy if you know the five clicks to take to go and delete a review, but they don't make it super easy. Um, and then to write another one. So people speaking of sunk costs, they're like, whatever, my review is my review and they don't go back and change it. Some people will, um, but not really. And so there's part of there's part of that that they rely on. Uh, and these, again, these, these companies, these agencies, whatever they're, they're sitting there banking on that people aren't really going to tell because they're so busy running their business that they don't have time to go around and crap all over your marketing agency that use deceptive practices. And really basically whether their practices were deceptive or not, I'm not saying that the product wasn't good or it was mediocre, right? Because then they'll they'll uh, somebody will stay with a mediocre marketing agency. By the way, simply because it's more of a pain to change away from them. So the way that Mondo does it, full transparency, is that Mondo typically doesn't do contracts. Um, there is opportunity for contract if people want to do um, something and get some sort of a discount. Sure, that's always there, right? But the problem is that if you, I, I, yeah, I mean. The problem is people are leery. They always want to pull you. So what you have to do in sales and in marketing, the agency itself is you have to set expectations properly. And, and that's challenging because it pulls your legs out from under you in terms of uh, the sale part, because 
if you were to say with this with uh, this top that we're talking about, you would go and you oh, listen. This top here's all the transparency. You see everything, and we're not we're not even using child labor, but we are using people that are 18 years old and I don't know have a limp. I mean, there's some some sort of disability. Let's say, well, they could go okay. Am I willing to do that? I mean, on the one hand, it seems like they're taking advantage of people that have some sort of a disability on mass, right? As a group. But on the other hand, maybe they're providing employment to a group which may not have been able to do this. So I'm willing to take that hit. And the fact that they're 18, maybe I think they should be in college or whatever, but maybe culturally that's not the difference. So where's the cost for you? So there are people in the marketing space that are willing to stay with a marketing agency simply because they go, well, the results are good enough. I saw a 1.5x ROI. <laughs> okay. So you made, if you've spent 30 grand, you made 45. So you netted 15. Okay. I mean, if, if your number is there, fine, do it. But I, I also think that people are, they're limited in their ability to fully understand the macroeconomic costs across the board, especially for marketing, because it's intangible and it's unfalsifiable, which is a thing that we see in all circles all the time. We, people, you do that with the word racism all the time. You're a racist because you can't disprove it. That's why schlock books like being anti-racist by that Ibram X Kendi dude, they're written because you can't disprove it. If you argue that you're not a racist, that makes you racist. But if you admit that you're a racist, then you're admitting that you're a racist. So there's no possible way that you're not a racist, assuming you're white. So like it's unfalsifiable. That's where people get stuck in this is it a Thucydides trap, right? So I digress. You can talk. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm going to just continue on. I actually kind of want to move. Well, actually, the, the vacuum cleaners in the very next paragraph, <laughs> considering that's the title of the article. Yes. I'll just bring that up here. Uh, as, as we near uh, the, the twilight of this episode, the rise of e-commerce has opened up new platforms for such practices, deceptive practices. On Amazon, for instance, the seller of a $114.99 vacuum cleaner over a two-day period in 2017 marked it down from $249.99 to $189.95. After this period ended, the seller once again listed the product at $114.99 with no reference to the higher prices, according to a research study. Amazon has since introduced an unspecified series of mechanisms to detect and prevent this sort of behavior among sellers, according to an Amazon spokeswoman. Uh, and I will say this just as a brief tangent. Amazon recently has been modifying the way their review and like star system shows up. I don't know if you've noticed this or read about it. Uh, it used to be that you search for products. You saw a list of them next to the product. It showed you a five star rating system. Like there were five physical stars and they were illuminated based on, uh, their reviews and then mm. next to it um, for a time it would have like total number of reviews, rub mm -hmm. reviews. And then they shifted to uh, just one star with the number of stars written in numerics next to it. So a star 4.3. Sure. And then in parentheses next to it, it was the percentage of stars that were five, uh, five star reviews. 
Interesting. Uh, but now, <laughs> and I think it might be like a staged rollout. And I know this is a total uh, digression, but now when I looked on Amazon the other day, it's just the star with the, the average numbers of 4.3 stars uh, and then nothing next to it. <laughs> so it's, it's it, yeah, it, it's it, for really? me and maybe it's just me and I know I continue on this digression, but it's like on Google reviews when I'm looking for a place to eat. Uh, if there's a place that has four stars, but 2000 reviews and mm-hmm. a place that has four and a half stars, but 200 reviews, I'm way more likely to take the place that has a slightly lower uh, review rating, but a humongously larger audience that has yes. reviewed it um, than I am the other way around. And so not having this information surfaceable the same way that it was, it's, it's very difficult to find this information now. And the webpage acts like really clunkily when you try to find it. Uh, in my experience, it's, it's a step backwards. And I wonder why Amazon has done this, uh, but needless to say, uh, clearly they've run things that say it's good for them. So the point being, um, yeah, <laughs> this I, I vacuum, a, yes. I pulled, sorry, I pulled up so on, on mobile, so maybe the website is different, but yeah. it says like screen replacement. Yeah, that's the way. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's just the website that's different. Yeah, because yeah. I that's what I like. I the love to see test. a bunch of reviews. You know, I love it because it tells me that a bunch of people have bought this and probably written reviews about it. And if you really, I mean, obviously it depends on the dollar amount, right? Like what yeah. are you, is it toilet paper or is it, you know, is it something that I really need to spend time thinking about? Yeah. And exactly. And that's so, <laughs> that's so interesting. Cause yeah, I pulled it up on my mobile. It looks the same as yours. I pulled it up on a non logged in Amazon yep. page and it looks the same, but on my logged in page on a windows computer, it has the new system. So I think it's, it's they're rolling it out or they're testing it. That's um, Steve Jobs ghost messing with you for using a Windows computer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, no, Steve, please. Just paint the fence. Um, One more thing, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, can't wait. <laughs> um, yes. So, oh, well, we're near the end of the article as I just pull up. Yes. The, um, yes. So, um, what I'm trying to say here is that there's increasing litigation. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, produced a series of pricing guidelines several decades ago, but largely stopped pursuing related claims in the 70s. Quote, the pricing guidelines have not been a priority for the FTC. Most administrations have thought it was more efficient to let the states deal with it. Quote, said James Combe, associate director of the FTC's enforcement division. Retail chains facing related lawsuits may argue they never intended to mislead customers, consumers, and that they struggle to comply with pricing regulations that vary from state to state, said John Villafranco, a partner at law firm Kelly Dry and Warren, which has represented defendants in similar false advertising cases. Another common argument is that consumers suffer no real material loss if they can't claim that the products they purchased were defective or that they are worth less. They are worth less than the price paid. A Washington state judge in June dismissed a case against the owner of Aeropostal and Eddie Bauer after finding the plaintiff had suffered no real injury from paying $6 for a pair of leggings with the allegedly deceptive reference price of $12.50. No real injury. Uh, so a couple of things. One, like 
the FTC largely stopped pursuing related claims in the 70s and let the states deal with it. What's the big yeah. difference between the 70s and today? The well, internet, bro, yeah. and also yes. haircuts. But the internet, <laughs> <laughs> the, the internet, it democratized everything, including the ability to set. Look, I, I had a, I may have told this as well. Uh, a friend of mine knew a guy that owned a surf shop in like, uh, somewhere in Northern California. Okay. And he sold uh, and I had, had an online store. I don't know the name of it, had an online store and this guy in, somewhere in North Carolina, not on the beach, by the way, somewhere in North Carolina called them up, called the surf shop up and said, you don't have, your website is not, um, what is ADA Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA compliant. And he goes, you can either, I, I can sue you or I can, uh, you can pay me 15 grand. He shook him down for 15 because I'm blind. The guy's blind, by the way. He shook him down for 15 grand. I don't think they have proof that he was blind. Whatever. So, you know, I, I understand that. I mean, I, again, being kind of like a small business guy, I like small businesses. I like local businesses. So the internet has kind of blown that up. But the FTC is shirking responsibility, I think, by kind of going, well, this, we gave it to the states. See, the states can't handle it. Well, they can, but if you can sell anything anywhere, I mean, then then you run into a problem. Yes, there are website functionalities that afford you the ability to geofence people, but if somebody is using a VPN um, and the law is different in Texas than it is in California, which it certainly is, um, and you're, you're in Texas or wherever you are, but you're gaming the system by assigning your VPN a location that's the most advantageous tax-wise. Like, how do you do that? I mean, I, I so if it's up to the states, then I'd say as a state, I'd be like, you can't do business. I mean, it's kind of like the state of Virginia. This is a recent thing with Pornhub, right? This is a big deal. This was in the Wall Street Journal also, where you, if I'm not mistaken, if you were in the state of Virginia, there may be other states, but you basically couldn't access the website because a law that the state the, the state applied was aggressive enough that it precluded them from being able to operate effectively. I, and I, if I'm not mistaken, it's because that particular website wasn't doing enough to police um, the availability of underage content on their website. They weren't doing enough. They were like, eh. So, because they're based in Sweden or something, it's a little more laissez-faire. So, anyway, yes, sorry. Yes. Let's, so, not yes. Yeah, so, to your point, um, suffered no real injury from buying a six dollar. Well, you paid twice as much. I mean, that you could have spent on something else. Yeah, maybe like you have kids. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I, we also tend to. So, uh, Matthew McConaughey has a a book called Green Lights Green. that I just started listening to yesterday. Um, Treehouse, bro. Have you read it? Oh yeah. The treehouse, right. So he talks about that with the the mink oil lawsuit. It's the same thing. He goes, <laughs> so in brief, by the way, he had he was 13 or whatever it is. He has a little bit of acne, like just pimples, like you do when you're 13. <laughs> I forgot about that story. And his mom goes, hey, she was selling mink oil. And she's like, just put some of this on your face. Well, he puts it on his face every night before bed, some more pimples. And they go, and again, it's an unfalsifiable claim. 
Because the claim is it will bring out the impurities in your skin. So he gets a little more pimples. She's like, oh, that's just the impurities coming out. Those will come out and then it'll be it'll be good. Puts a little more on. She goes, oh, you must have had a lot of impurities. It's unfalsifiable, you see? So you, how do you argue? Again? So then even she called the lady over who was like, because it was a, um, MLM. So the woman who's her higher up comes over. She's like, oh, wow, look at all those impurities coming out. <laughs> so eventually before he's like, like infections and all this stuff. So he goes to the doctor, the doctor gives him Accutane, whatever they, they actually file a lawsuit. They go to court and the, the judge or the, excuse me, the uh, defense counsel, because his dad was all excited. They they were going to make money off this lawsuit. The defense counsel busts out the yearbook. And this is a couple years later because the legal system is meant to work slowly. Um, Although the speedy trial thing should prevent that. But anyway, uh, a couple years later, and he's like the he's on the stand and the defense counsel's like oh so you feel like this really hurt your confidence oh yes sir yes sir it really hurt me. yes sir yes sir all right all right all right <laughs> really hurt my confidence shh, shh. i can't get the whistle whistle thing that it does there <laughs> and he goes <clears throat> so he's like oh yeah so he goes did it hurt you with the ladies yeah yeah it hurt me with the ladies and then he pulls out the yearbook where he's got a sash on that says handsomest yeah. or whatever it is most handsome <laughs> And they were like, case dismissed. <laughs> were you really injured? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. You spent $6. I think you got suckered. Hmm. But you spent twelve fifty on a pair of $6 leggings. So, anyway. That's my Matthew McConaughey story. <laughs> story. I can't whistle like that with my teeth. He's really teeth. <laughs> yeah, I definitely can't. Yeah. I do want to bring this back to something we, we spoke of earlier, and this it, it kind of is referenced here in the final uh, couple paragraphs. Mm-hmm. So some retailers have attempted to move away, like we said with JCPenney, and actually is a bit, yeah, have attempted to move away from pricing practices that have been criticized, but it didn't pay off, which is what we mentioned at the top. JCPenney, for example, adopted a more transparent pricing strategy in 2012 while facing a suit over deceptive pricing that was settled in 2015 for $50 million dollars. Sales subsequently plunged, leading chief executive Ron Johnson to leave the company only after after only 18 months. <clears throat> a decade later, JCPenney allegedly is using the very same sham markdowns, according to a, so, a suit, I can't speak, filed in California in February. The company didn't respond to requests for comments. So to dovetail this, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a fine line. Right. And as you mentioned, where is that line? Who is the purveyor of finding this line? Who, yeah. who, who is the one to say this is right, this is wrong? Um, clearly, at least for American consumers, it would appear that they love a deal or at least they love a perceived deal. And if, by and large, if they don't perceive that they're getting a deal, even if it's not true, they are going to stop shopping. Uh, at least in many examples, right? So it's, it's as you mentioned earlier, right? <laughs> Some people are unable to think critically, right? Mm-hmm. And and apparently many of them, Not I'm not saying most, but there's a lot of people that they see a deal, they accept it as truth on high. And as long as they feel good, whether it's placebo effect or not, they feel good and they have the product 
And it would appear to be a win-win for the consumer and for the company, the retailer. Uh, <laughs> but for me, right, it seems that, yeah, do I'm not saying I don't like getting a deal. Yeah. I love thinking that I'm getting a deal, but I'm not so crazy about it. Really, it's a matter of priorities as a consumer, right? If your priority is quality over quantity, if your priority is getting a thing to do the job or jobs that you require it to do, right? Like that's that's what I go for, right? You want that hoodie, but you don't want the hoodie if it's if you know you're going to be wearing it outside in a rainy condition and it's not waterproof. Like mm -hmm. there's no value in buying a cheap hoodie that's not waterproof if you want a hoodie that is waterproof. And maybe that's kind of an extreme example, but or like this this audio mixer that I use when we do our podcast, mm -hmm. right? Yes, I experimented with less expensive products, but there was always some caveat. Like they had a really terrible so, um, signal to noise ratio, so there's always a hiss in the background, or they didn't have the feature set that even though it seemed overkill in the beginning, I, in, I not only enjoy using it, but require those features now. Um, so the deal to me, it wasn't worth waiting for, yeah. uh, or, or, you know, it, it wasn't worth acquiring a product that was on sale if it didn't meet my features that I needed. Do you think on some level that these things, they come down to, uh, so you could use many different words, right? On, on one hand, you could say laziness, but I don't, that is certainly, certainly not you. Um, but could it be, we're addicted to convenience. So like, so one of the things that increasingly people are complaining about and have been complaining about for uh, like time since time immemorial, but like, uh, is food. And, and having, I was in Europe a few weeks ago and it's like the, the food is just very different. It's very different. Like the things that are legal in preservatives, uh, which is one of the biggest things, preservatives and chemicals that are illegal in American food are simply illegal in, in many other places. And to be fair, I wasn't in Europe. I was in Great Britain, England. So you just can't use some of those things. Now, the convenience factor is that, well, if I buy this bag of chips or whatever it is, I mean, pick a thing and it comes in these, in this packaging, which is the packaging is a separate conversation, but like it goes, okay, well, it comes in this and I'm not going to think about this for six months. But when I open this bag of chips in six months, six months, dude, a half a year, I want to be able to eat it the same way I could today. There's a cost to that, but we're addicted to the convenience of it. It's similar, like a lot, <clears throat> a lot of times these days, we're talking about the straw thing. So, oh, we're going to get rid of these plastic straws because a turtle somewhere got in its face and it's fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. We, we burn through a lot of stuff unnecessarily anyway, unnecessarily anyway. But then we went to these paper straws, which suck. Kids. Literally. Let me tell you something. If you think that paper straws are okay, oh, I can deal with paper straws. They suck. They're so terrible <clears throat> as a as a product. They just suck. They're inferior in every way. So, <clears throat> but there's an environmental push for those. Well, then it comes out last week that 
these paper straws have, I don't know whether it's their adhesives or whatever, but they are lined with essentially forever chemicals that are carcinogenic, provably. <laughs> it's like, okay, so what are you going to do? So the convenience factor, well, I'm not going to just drink out of glass. A, just drink out of the glass. A little bit of germs never hurt anybody. But what if you're driving down the road at 85? That's true. So if you're driving down, I can't remember apart from like a fast food thing. The last time a straw was in my car, <laughs> but fine. So, but why not just then drink? If you're at a restaurant, why do you need three straws for your, your, you got a cocktail, you got some water, you, I don't, whatever the third straw is for. You're like doing rails of Coke off the table in a restaurant. Gosh, who knows? So Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola Coca kids get your mind out of the trash. So, well, why, why do you need all these straws? Pick up the glass and drink it. Well, I don't trust that it's clean. Okay, well, so maybe that's in the restaurant to take literally 0.5 more seconds to go, whoop, the rim is clean. So, I don't know. It's these it's these hidden costs. I think that the, to the point is that we are addicted to this sort of convenience. And I guess a point of laziness. And so, in the food, in the food side of things, if you don't want to eat um, tomatoes, that are oh they have pesticides and so we're going to do organic which by the way is another horseshit claim that organic means anything it's kind of like the grass-fed beef thing so you don't want to eat tomatoes that are store-bought because you don't trust that there's no pesticide on them for instance and you can't attest to their practices because fyi vegans all monoculture kills billions of animals love you guys but so how can you control that, Jordan? You know how you can control it? You could go dig a hole in your backyard and you put a tomato plant in it. That's how you control it. Grow the damn tomatoes. Grow it and then find out. I, we did this. This is how I know this. If you then, you go, well, I can only have tomatoes. We're in Colorado. You've got probably tomatoes from June to maybe to like September. Okay. So in those three months, We'll call it four if it's all of June and all of September. In those four months, you've got tomatoes coming in. G learn how to preserve them. Go and we bought, can my wife was like, you're an insane person. We bought canning stuff because I was like, dude, can you imagine the money we'll save? If we grow this food. We're not going to eat it all right now because we got tomatoes like rabbit babies and you somehow figure out how to preserve them. Now we're not canning tomatoes right this second, but like figure out how to preserve them. And then when you need fresh vegetables, however they're preserved, go open up a jar and just take them. You can account for that thing from seed to table every single time. But we're lazy. And again, I, I, I'd hesitate to say lazy. I feel like lazy is the wrong. It's just we're addicted to convenience. Whereas 200 years ago, if you want a tomato, you better have a plant in your backyard. Exactly. You, you may be able to go to a market, but it's probably... Probably not. Uh, and if if you had to go to a market, it's a waste of time because the market was probably way far away. Or, by the way, speaking in in, a, in advocating for local um, local businesses, you went to the market that was in your town. And by in your town, I don't mean five miles away in your town. I mean like a half mile away because the only way you could get there was either on a horse, which you had to feed. By the way. Which, where's that food going to come from? Uh, so it's either on a horse or you're going to walk. So you go someplace in town. This is the, this is also the case for like farmer's markets, 
right? Go to a farmer's market. If you really want this stuff, go to a farmer's market. It's great. I love farmer's markets. Even then, you're paying a markup. If you don't want to pay a markup, grow it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, no offense, and you can find, by the way, these things like the cost of, the total cost of manufacturing something. Somebody did this with like an alternator one time in a car. Those companies that produce an alternator or anything, MacBooks, right? They're operating in economies of scale. So what they're making costs much less than it would cost you. For you, it would cost, it'd be like thousands of dollars to build an alternator where you could just go buy one for like 200 bucks, depending on the alternator. And if you really want to, uh, you could go get one for like 20 bucks if you're willing to get a wrench. Mm-hmm. Another thing, by the way, get a wrench, go to a junkyard mm-hmm. and pull the freaking alternator out of a car. It costs nothing. They're like, what do you need? Oh, I need this alternator. 20 bucks or whatever costs. So, you know, we're addicted to convenience, oddly. And it's fine. I mean, that's kind of how the world works, it, you know. Um, but in because we're addicted to that sort of convenience, then this woman who bought 1250 leggings that should have cost six bucks, she was so, I don't know this person, so I'm not casting aspersions, but she was so addicted to, I'm just going to pay it, that she just paid twice as much as she should have paid for something because she couldn't take the time or did or whatever the scenario is let's say didn't take the time to do two seconds of research to go oh these should be six bucks but but then but then felt offended (laughs) oh well that's to spend how much on a lawsuit (laughs) yeah and and lost by the way yeah yeah. so now she has to pay the legal fees (laughs) Yeah. Have fun. Yeah, so that twelve fifty really cost her. You know. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. No. Yeah, anyway. there's laziness. That's like it's like time saving, right? It's, yep. it's not. It's not cost saving. It's time saving. Yes. Um. One thing I wanted to add just briefly because Please. I was thinking about why, like, why? What are other reasons why people, um, take a deal even if it's just perceived value, whether they know that or not, and uh, it's. It reminds me, I was taking this, not taking, but I was watching the masterclass that Quest Love, mm-hmm. um, drummer of the Roots, drummer on the Tonight Show, um, whatever that is, yeah, the, whatever it is, the, the late, whatever that show is called, <clears throat> and uh, he was teaching a class on DJing, and he really, uh, you know, in his mind, he said he really just wanted to be, he wanted to make all this money from being a drummer in a band so that he could one day DJ at a high level or, or something like this. And he was saying one of the things he does in his DJ sets is he tries to uh, educate people. And so he'll play, he'll play a song. Uh, he'll play like Will Smith's Miami mm-hmm. and then he'll play the whispers and the beat goes on, uh, which is what Miami sampled for the main melody. Uh, mm. And so he'll like, he'll blend those together and then move back and forth. So, Part of it is playing a song people know and can dance to, and then he wants to educate them a little bit, or at least, uh, you know, show them where it came from. Mm-hmm. And for the people that that knew that, um, they feel smart, right? They mm-hmm. they feel like, oh yeah, I already, I already knew that. Uh, or other people, they get to learn. Hey, that's cool. That's where it came from. They can shazam it. Yeah. Um, so I think oftentimes there's also that level when when getting a deal uh, where you're like, oh man, I found this best deal. Look, look, it used to be this. Now it's this. Just because I put in X amount of effort, I now save Y amount of dollars and I feel Z amount of, you know, feel, feel good. 
medicine. There's a name for that. And I can't think about it as all the time in my head, but it's, yeah, you feel like you're getting a deal. If, if you let people think they're getting a deal, they'll buy a lot of stuff. Yeah. And you feel smart about it. You feel like yeah. better, better than almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Superior. It's weird. Anyway. All right. Sorry. I've, t- I've gotten, there's like a pile of soapboxes over yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to put them back in the closet. I'm going to go make my own soap (laughs) (laughs) and throw it into the soap boxes. (laughs) Do (laughs) just say, do that. (laughs) I will. I'll fight club. Of course, I got to go to a plastic surgery center and get bags. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of work there. (laughs) (laughs) So, so two seconds. Yes. There's this uh, little boy. His name is Alan. I don't know his name. Alan's soaps. Alan's soap. Soap. Oh, soap. Yeah. Alan's artisan artisan soaps. A L A N S A R T I S A N soaps. Um this I, I can't remember how I found it. I, I have an idea of how I found it, but I won't bring it up now. Um and this little boy has this ge- rare genetic disorder with and you can see pictures, start a soap company. And he's a little boy. Um, and they support every, every bar soap that you purchase goes to special Olympics and whatever. And there are also some kind of their, their, uh, ethics. I really like a lot. So anyway, bought some soap from him, probably 50% more than I would have paid for dove or whatever, but I like the product that's worth it to me. Speaking of soap, go check out Alan's artisan soaps. Just saying, cute little kid. Yeah, and in awesome. every box, there's like I'm sure it's mass printed, but it's sweet nonetheless. There's like a little in crayon hand signed note from Alan, and they oh, smell really good too. Yeah, which one did you get? A uh, cedarwood jasmine. <laughs> I got the red, white, and blue set. I think. Um, I think that's what it was. Which I can tell you. You know, the thing about artisan soaps is they don't last as long as like the other stuff. Sure, so. sure. Um, so we got a watermelon basil. Yeah, here it is. Fragrance free. Fragrance free. And then... Um, lavender rosemary. Lavender rosemary. Yeah. That's awesome. Good stuff. Because I share, because I like the values that the company purports. So, And that's called voting with your dollars. Voting with your dollars. Indeed. Wow. (laughs) It has been an absolutely thrilling episode talking about vacuums 2% of the time. That's right. (laughs) But deceptive practices and marketing 100%, maybe maybe 99% uh, of the time. And yeah, as always, please, if you enjoy this content, if you enjoy the dulcet tones of Brandon Wood. They're so dulcet. (laughs) The slightly raspy tones of Jordan McDonald. Please be sure to share, like, subscribe. Hit that bell icon if you're feeling inclined. Otherwise, just you know, tune in. Tune in every time. Let us know. You can always hit us up at uh, podcast at trimondo.com. Yep. And you can let us know. We just get flooded every time. So if your so, email happens yes. to go with a request or a suggestion <laughs> for what we should talk about or even just hate email, uh, it may go to spam, but we will eventually get back to you. And I'll say, if you want to see what Mondo is all about, and what Mondo can do, go to trymondo.com. I mean, if if you want to talk marketing, it never, it doesn't cost anything to have a conversation. And having worked at other agencies, I can say that Mondo is 
is the the most transparent one that you're going to come up with, right? They're the most transparent. Mondo is going to tell you, well, here's what something costs. There's no hiding the ball there. And there's no contract because, I, well, for several reasons. One, if there's no contract, people don't leave because they don't feel locked in. And two, if the work isn't done, if the performance isn't there, don't stick around. You know, it's as simple as that. Now, is that a good marketing strategy? Not really. But like if the performance isn't there, don't stick around. And there's no piece of paper that's going to lock you into something like that. And, and, you know, we typically don't pitch Mondo as, a, as an organization. But based on what we're talking about today, <clears throat> it's worth having that discussion. I mean, honestly. Uh, and I, I've, you know, been in conversations where we go, hey, this is probably not the right avenue for you to look at. You don't have this budget or you don't have this or whatever the cost is. This is what you should look at first. Fine. It's it's better to be honest up front because I don't need to be the guy today. I just need to be the guy when you're ready. You know? So I digress. One more. One final time. One <laughs> final digression. One more soapbox. <laughs> you know, I don't think you should start soap making facility. You should start a soapbox making facility. That's correct. <laughs> it's correct with lots of child labor. <laughs> <laughs> As long as it's cheap, as long as you feel smart about the value that's you're right. getting. Did I get a deal? <laughs> Did you get any splinters? I think they're my the, kids, so yeah. it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, it's right. It's, it's it's inside the four walls of your abode. That's right. It's, it's fine. That's Laws right. don't apply. FTC is not coming for you. Yes, it's pronounced abode in abode. in New Mexico. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, thank you all. My abode, again Adobe, Adobe, Adobe. <laughs> Brandon, we're. We're about I'll to get up. into fisticuffs here. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no. no. Thank you. This has been uh, an honor. Yes, sir. And a pleasure. Likewise. Episode 27. Here <laughs> we are. Did you think we'd make it this far? It's 27 Club. You know, there are a lot of people that die at 27 years old. Oh, God. But it's not this podcast. Mama Cass, Janice Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Mondo Solution. <laughs> Rip. <laughs> We're not. We're making it to 28. Damn it. Yes. <laughs> Can't wait. Yes. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. You're welcome. Until next time. Yes, sir. Until next, next time. time. <laughs> Peace out.